This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. How are you doing, New Life? Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, if you're brand new and you're wondering, why am I talking to you right now? My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and uh, I have the privilege of introducing our speaker for the day, and I'm so excited because she has just been amazing all day long. I can't wait for you to hear what God's going to speak through her about what he's been doing in her life. But to get us all on the same page, uh, I do want to say this. Um, grab your connection card that says Start Here. We ask everybody to do this each week, and just put your name and email address on it so that as God stir something in your life, you have a way to respond. We turn these in at the end of each week. It gives us a way to connect with you. gives you a way to connect with us. Um, it's, uh, it gives you a place to write down prayer requests so that we can be praying for you throughout the week and a place to write down answer prayers so we can celebrate what God's doing in your life. And we just love praying for you, connecting with you. Ultimately, as a church, our hope is that when the time comes that you want to connect with God, we want to be the church that helps you connect with God. And this connection card simply helps us connect with you so we can help you connect with God. So go ahead and get that filled out. And I did want to say something. I would be amiss if I didn't uh, say a special welcome and a special thank you to those of you who are veterans today as we celebrate uh, Veterans Day weekend. So thank you for being here today, and we just really want to celebrate you. Uh, we appreciate you being here. We appreciate your service. So thank you uh, to veterans and to veterans' families, because we know it's not just about those who have served, but the families who partner with them in that journey. Uh, Well, we are in week three of a four-week series that we're calling My Story. And My Story came about basically from this idea that we believe uh, at the core of our being that God is not some sort of distant deity who set the world in motion and just kind of hangs out out there for us to live life on our own. But we believe that God is like a perfect heavenly father who wants to engage with us and share life with us and teach us things and partner with us on this journey of life and write a story in our life that's a story worth telling. And so what I've decided to do for the last month is I've stepped off the stage from preaching and I've invited our pastoral staff to come on the stage and to tell you their story or some some aspect of their story, their testimony, what God has done and is doing in their lives. And then what I'm asking us to do each week is to be brave enough to ask this question, God, what do you want to show me through their story? God, how do you want to encourage me? How do you want to inspire me? How do you want to challenge me through the story I'm hearing? Because I believe that God doesn't write a story in an individual's life simply for the benefit of that person, but that God writes a story in our life for the benefit of the community as well. And so I believe that as our our speaker comes and shares with us today, that God's going to do just that. He's going to inspire you or challenge you or encourage you in some area of your life if you're open to allowing him to do that. Well, today we're going to have Pastor Angela come up and share. She's our life group's pastor, and, and she's just a really, really good friend of mine. And they, no, hold on, hold on. She, every, she comes out earlier every single time, but I, don't, I want to talk about you because one of my joys is I've been able to think about our pastoral staff and share something about them that I appreciate. So now you just have to be here. So come on up on stage. You took it away. I get five minutes it to talk. It helps with the nerves. It helps with it just to be and out here. And I got to watch you because we, you don't have a microphone for four weeks, which means you put in a little mini sermon right here at the beginning. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. I'm just uh, helping you. Well, Angela, Angela is a good friend of mine. Angela is one of a handful of people in my personal life that if I have, if I have questions about marriage, when I have questions about parenting, when I have questions about finances, when I sense God doing something in my life, but I don't exactly know what it is, she's one of a handful of people that I invite into dialogues about that because Angela is intentional about life. She's intentionally about passionately pursuing God in every area of her life, which, which makes her someone that I just want to rub shoulders with. So, 
she and her husband and Marie and I have formed a close friendship because I just, I want to be around people who are seeking God with everything in them. And Angela's that kind of person. And so I'm just so excited to welcome Angela to the stage. Would you join me in welcoming Angela today? Are you going to rub my shoulder? Let's go. Rub shoulders. Let's go, team. Rub. So lame. <laughs> you said She's it. already said doing it. lame jokes. She's been preaching for one day. She's already telling lame jokes. <laughs> You'll be a great pastor. Don't worry. Brace yourself. Well, for the same reason, you didn't start the timer. <laughs> you, sorry. So my parents are the people that shared last week. If you were here last week, those are my parents. And my dad is a quiet, introvert kind of a guy. But when he gets on stage, he's got plenty of words to share. And then my mom, she just has, generally has lots of words to share. And I have both genes. So, Kevin, seriously. All right, well, good luck to you. <laughs> Um, good morning. I'm Angela. And uh, if you only know me from the Sunday morning context, you may not know about me that I love history and antiquing. And especially I really love it when something that has served a purpose already finds a new purpose in life. And so the, today I'm wearing a gift that somebody gave me, but it's one of my favorite necklaces because it is a spoon handle. And this spoon had a whole life as a spoon, and then somebody chopped the top of it off and gave it a new life as a necklace. And first, I just love that idea. It's getting a whole new life. As we're sharing our stories with each other in our life groups, but then also here, that's kind of the way that I picture it, that I walked this story with God, and I'm getting mileage out of the lessons that I have learned. But my thought was, if we're sharing them together, you get to recycle what I did, and maybe it won't cost you 10 years like it cost me. So um, that's the idea this morning, is that we'll just recycle what God has done um, as he's intervened in my life, and uh, we'll get more mileage out of that. So as we start my story, let's just start right at the beginning. Um, I am Angela, and I am the youngest of three children born to Ron and Monica Hunt. My brother and sister are a little bit closer in age, and they're very close in personality, too. And I was a little slower to arrive, and um, I am a free spirit. <laughs> so they have both married their first serious boyfriend or girlfriend. They've known their careers for a very long time. They are methodical, competitive, very good people in a straight line. And I have uh, been blessed with a different kind of personality that does life a little bit curvy, <laughs> just a little. Um, like I said, my parents are Ron and Monica Hunt. So if you heard their story last week, then you know a little bit of the upbringing that I had. I was raised in a Christian home and I had a front row seat to all kinds of, <laughs> ta-da, there we are in the 80s. Sorry about that, mom. I did not run this by them. I should be apologizing to my dad who was wearing the hideous mustache. That thing, that's awful. <laughs> that's awful. I'm sure it was the height of fashion. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, oh, she just said he was very good looking. That's cute. So I got a front row seat not only to really great parenting and intentional parenting and a lot of um, knowing my Bible and being raised around the concept of God, but then I also had a front row seat to their story what you heard last week was uh, risks, adventure, and rewards, and I, I watched that, and that was my background, but my free-floating uh, personality did not necessarily take that thing to the bank. So uh, in we go to, to private Christian school, and the next picture is a picture of my sister and I, and we laugh at this picture. Do you know who I am? <laughs> figured. <laughs> I figured. 
We laugh at this picture because it's like quintessential Lisa and Angela. Lisa is under control. She has the awards. I have no awards. Her socks are neatly tucked up to her knees. Mine have disappeared. They are bunched somewhere around my ankles. And I am having a party on the stairs. I don't know. I don't know why because Lisa seems ready for the picture. Where am I? Anyway, um, we went to private Christian school, which again, just also fed into that really great upbringing, gave me a solid foundation. Lisa grew up. I was following her by aging. Lisa grew up, went off to do all kinds of um, college tours and figured out that the right school for her was Pacific Christian College in Southern California. And being who I am, I went on a social visit to visit my sister and fell in love with her school, didn't even think to do my own research, did not apply to any other colleges, simply just said, this is a good one, I met some people, they're marvelous there, and off I go to Christian college, keeping the same theme, which is just, ha, here we go, here goes life. So this is me in the 90s, I'm the one in the center with the big wave hair. That is something. And I made that vest myself. I'm not sure what about making my own clothes seem like my best first impression when it came to college. Like, welcome, here I am. I make my own clothes. I don't know. But there we are in the 90s at Pacific Christian College. Again, superb school just kept adding to my resume of faith structure. It was a really great experience and I had a blast. But I was totally sleepwalking. I mean, totally sleepwalking. I had enough good parenting to have a solid head on my shoulders as far as making wise choices and not going down a rebellious path, um, all that kind of stuff. But I was totally asleep at the wheel in my own life. Which brings me to the first place where I was doing this and God came in and uh, uh, he had to headbutt me to get me to wake up. But uh, where God came in and intervened. And so this is your first opportunity to recycle. On your notes, there is no guarantee that your childhood defines you. I've heard that phrase before, but I always just took it for people who didn't have a good upbringing. That if you had a stinky upbringing, you shouldn't be defined by that. You should go be who God made you to be and not be defined by your childhood. But I hadn't cro- it hadn't crossed my mind that I was making all kinds of assumptions about my childhood um, defining me. That because my parents had a strong faith, I would have a strong faith. Because my parents raised me with character, that I would be a person of character. That because my parents valued integrity and taught us to have integrity, that I would grow up to be a person who valued and honored integrity. I I very much just slept-walked my way through this whole concept about my childhood just defining me. I just assumed, because I had this great resume, that I would turn out to be this great person. And um, that was not becoming true. And God needed to headbutt me, to get a hold of me. I want to take you to Second Chronicles. This is one of my favorite scriptures. It applies from both ends of the spectrum, whether you had a great childhood or not. Because the eyes of the Lord scan the whole world to strengthen those who are committed to him with all of their hearts. Here's the thing. I knew that God was big and strong and he was trying to help us. But my picture, when I picture this scripture, it, it woke my mind up. I picture us, there's a whole crowd of us, and God is looking over because that's what it says. He's scanning the whole world to strengthen us. But we're all chugging along, and we're looking down at the ground because life is hard, and we're all chugging along, and it's like, I hope he spots me and strengthens me. And in fact, that's what most of our prayers are. God, give me the courage. Give me the strength. My assumption was that as he looked around, he would do that for me because I had a really great credentials. I had great credentials. And then other people are tooling along thinking, God's not going to be that. What I picture when I read this scripture is 
God's looking around, and his measuring stick doesn't look anything like that. In fact, he looks out at the whole crowd, and he sees this person is glowing. But the measuring stick on why that person is glowing is because that person, his heart is completely committed to him. And I was not that, even though I thought, God, use me. I mean, I wasn't down the rebellious path. I totally thought, God, use me. Well, why wouldn't you use me? I've got lots to offer. But God is skating in the crowd looking for somebody whose heart's completely committed towards him. I find that scripture both humbling because it levels the playing field for all of us. And I find that scripture incredibly inspiring. There's only one thing I got to do for God to use me in big ways. I got to be sold out on him. That's the one thing I've got to do. It doesn't matter about my credentials. I can use my background. I can use everything that was given to me to leverage on behalf of God's incredible work, but that's not what makes me usable to the kingdom. And it's not what makes you or disqualifies you from being usable to the kingdom. It's the commitment of my heart. Does my heart belong to God? So this is our first opportunity to recycle. So as we think about what that looks like, that you're, the, you're, you are not defined by your character, for some of us, we may need to be waking up. We may have this great tool that we could be leveraging on behalf of the work that God wants to do in the world, and we're sleepwalking through life. And for others of us, we're maybe defining ourselves by our childhood, thinking, I can't dream those big dreams. Sure, that's what pastors do, or sure, that's what super Christians do. I've only been Christian 15 minutes or three weeks. I think three weeks ago we had our baptism service. It doesn't matter. That's not where the credentials lie at all. So if you have something in this that God is whispering to your heart, I did not write down application points for you like we sometimes do, where you pick the one that you want. I just gave you blanks that say recycle this. If there's some part of my story that is useful to you, toss it in there. Take that home. Get more mileage out of it. Why waste the 10 years or 15? Let's not count. Let's not count. It took me quite a while to get a hold of that particular concept. Um, So let's fast. Well, we'll actually go back a little bit. The summer between my eighth grade year and my ninth grade year, we moved to Hawaii from Oregon. And being raised in Oregon, we went to the coast a lot, but it's truly the coast and not the beach. And if you put your foot in the water for about 10 seconds, your whole leg turned purple. It was cold. So when we moved to Hawaii, I couldn't wait to frolic in the waves because it was warm and it was very inviting. And I'm sure some of you have done this where you went on a tropical vacation, maybe even a romantic getaway, and you get to the ocean And you can't wait to get in there. Perhaps you've even grabbed your significant other's hand and you walk into the waves only to be completely pummeled by a wave, tossed and rolled. And then you come up with a mouthful of sand, your nose full of salt water and your biscuits hanging out the back of your suit, right? It's happened. Come on now. It's happened. So we had, when we first got there, that was me. I mean, just over and over again, getting pummeled by these waves until a local finally came up and was like, hey, couldn't help but notice, and thankfully they didn't say your biscuits. Thankfully they're like, you seem to be struggling with the waves. Um, and they told me the strategy, which I will then share with you. Go under the wave if you're stuck at the place where they break. But actually the real strategy was pull back, look at where the waves are breaking, and go just a little bit past that spot. Then the waves can come, and they just lift you, and you're rolling with the waves, and you could truly frolic in the waves instead of getting run over. That's a great strategy for your next vacation. But in life, I was actually doing the same thing with life that was happening with the waves. That life was coming at me, and I just believed that if I could hold my ground, if I could stand strong, that I would become the person that I always wanted to be. That was based on the assumption about my childhood and then based on the assumption of how pain works. But part of the problem, that that is not biblical, first of all. And second of all, there's a ton about our culture that is constantly feeding us that same idea. 
For instance, if I said, no pain, no, you know, you're in the same society that I am. All right, what about this? What doesn't kill you makes you? Right. So I would just like to point out that while that is really catchy, that is complete rubbish. Because sometimes what doesn't kill you just makes you bitter. Sometimes what doesn't kill you just makes you question God. Sometimes what doesn't kill you just leaves you wounded and limping through the rest of your life. Sometimes what doesn't kill you just breaks your heart. This is my whole philosophy was based on a whole bunch of assumptions. This sleepwalking was causing me so much pain. Let me show you this next one because this thing is a doozy. Pain makes you stronger. Fear makes you braver. Heartbreak makes you wiser. Uh, If you were a fly on the wall of my life watching me go through heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, you would stand back and say, hey, sister, that's not working. You do not seem to be getting wiser from these heartbreaks. You're just going through heartbreaks. And God bless him, my family was doing just that, standing on the sidelines, going, sister, this is, this is not working for you. This is not working. Um, my assumption was that pain would make me stronger, which brings me to intersection number two, where I was tooling along, assuming and sleepwalking, and God T-boned me. There is no guarantee that pain produces growth, Period. You might just be standing in the waves, bracing yourself, going through one wave after another wave after another wave. And we just tend to assume that if we will stand back up on our feet and get ready for the next wave, that we will have been stronger for it. But sometimes you're just worn out. Sometimes you're just full of, your scalp full of sand. At the end of that day, I went home to, the, I went home in the shower and it's just full. My scalp was full of sand for being pounded into the sand over and over again. Life can do that to us. I will tell you where I learned this, um, the, the tough way again, why I would prefer that you recycle mine instead of um, have to learn it for yourself. I was an idiot with boys. I do not know what was different about me from my brother and sister who went very methodically through the process of romance, but I was busy being an idiot. So boy after boy, I brought home, and my family, we would, like, play games together and have dinner and do all, you know, the family bonding thing. And then we would send the boy home, and inevitably, somewhere over dishes and cleaning up the evening, the conversation would begin. So, Angela. And then would come code, uh, which was, so what do you see in so-and-so? Which sounds like a perfectly benign question, but eventually I started to figure out what they're saying is, we're not seeing it. Whatever that is that has you dating this one, we just, we're not seeing it. So boy after boy, I just kept going for it, just kept going for it, heartbreak after heartbreak. My senior year of college, my sister and my mom pulled me aside because I was talking marriage with one of these guys. And they sat me down on a difficult night and had a very difficult conversation with me, which was, hey, this is what we see. This relationship has you losing your personality. This relationship has your self-esteem taking a ding. You are not respecting yourself. You're not being shown respect. Is this what you want for your life? Which, of course, the answer to that is no. And the truth is I knew those things. I just wasn't having the courage to do something about it. So I borrowed their courage. I got myself out of that relationship. But because I assumed pain equals growth... I got up and I wiped my brow and thought, phew, thank God my family loves me enough to say the tough stuff to get me out of that relationship. And I did not look back. I just pressed on to the next heartbreak, just pressed on. No introspection, no wondering about how I'm going to grow from this pain. I just took that painful year of my life, buttoned it up, and then moved on to the next. 
The problem is you can be doing nothing wrong. I was dating Christian boys. I was bringing them home to meet my family. I wasn't in full-scale rebellion. But you can be doing nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Nothing about my life was coming out the way that I wanted. And you fast forward a few years, and I'm four years into a marriage that has sucked the life out of me. I have no personality left. I have no grace. I'm exhausted. My body is literally showing physical signs of the stress that I am under by trying to maintain this marriage, and again enters a strong, loving, supportive family. Hey, how's that going over there? You know, those are those conversations that you might, we're in conversations, oh, we had a big fight, and we'll talk our way through that, but it's hard to pull back and say, how is this actually working? And so I ended up going into counseling, and my spouse would not go with me, but I went into the first counseling session. I said, I'm here to save my marriage. This is what it looks like, and the counselor was totally honest. Honey, you cannot save your marriage by yourself. You can't. But since you're here and you've already made the appointment, why don't we work on you? <laughs> Which, now I realize the counselor's like, honey, you got yourself into this mess, so that tells me some things about you we need to work through. But he was very kind not to say that. And so off we go. And this verse I gave you in Philippians is something that I have returned to over and over and over again. I'm sure about this. The one who started a good work in you will stay with you to complete the job by the day of Christ Jesus. Man, I was, that wave strategy was not working for me at all. And in the end, I could not save my marriage. I, I uh, did not have a partner that would actually work with me to reconcile that, and I couldn't save my marriage. I'd like to pause here. I know that's sad news and difficult, and for some of you, that might be a very real um, thing that we relate on. But I'd like to pause here, even in the pain of it, and talk about how we can recycle this. Because whether you've been in a difficult relationship or not, here's how we can recycle this by not assuming that pain produces growth. We can make the choice to grow in our pain long before our pain arrives. And most of us that are going to do well at that will make a commitment, not when we're in the pain. If you're in the pain today, take the wave strategy. Pull back and look at that pain and say, how can I learn from this pain to not repeat it in cycles? But if you're not in pain today, maybe life is tooling along great, but you've got some sleepwalking assumptions as well, a great way to recycle that is to make the commitment today. You know what? The next time one of these pain waves comes at me, I will choose to pull back from the wave and look at it and see where can I grow from this? How can I become the person that I want to be, the person God made me to be in this pain because of this pain? And I didn't put it in your notes, but um, Romans 8.28, you might want to jot that down. Romans 8.28 says, God will work in any situation for the good of those who love him. That means you could be in the middle of a pain wave and God already can, we're looking at it from a peephole and you can only see the pain wave. He can see everything that you can see, but he can see the full 360 degrees around it. He is not intimidated by the odds of what that looks like. So maybe today what the recycle is that you might want to do, the recycle that I need to remind myself of, is that growth is a choice that we make. And it l happens usually long before the pain arrives. All right, let's get to the goodness. So enter Jason Robert Lamb. In the process of counseling, um, I wasn't able to save my marriage, but I was able to find myself, to get my footing, to be able to use my beautiful childhood to do something uh, worthwhile. And in the process, God brought me back to my best friend from high school. So I don't know how many of you have had the friends talk before. Anybody know what that is? Okay, I'm getting a few secretive nods and probably a few eye rolls. So Jason and I were best friends in high school, and we consistently had the friends talk because Jason had a crush on me, but I had him squarely in the friendship category. 
So therefore, we just kept missing each other. And apparently it happened so much that Jason promised himself he would literally never voluntarily step into that conversation again. So fast forward 17 years, I've gone through counseling, God has changed my taste buds, and all of a sudden I find myself fully in love with my best friend from high school. Only it takes me a year to get the courage up to tell him that I have feelings for him. So when I finally do confess, and I am mortified, he, when I finally confess, I put myself out there, he's like, oh, thank God. I have totally been feeling the same thing, but I promised myself I was never bringing that conversation back up again. So it took us a little while to get our act together. This brings me to the third point that God has been so faithful to say to me as I have interacted with him. There is no guarantee that the death of a dream is a bad thing. When my divorce was coming, um, when my divorce was happening, that was the death of a dream. I had a whole life picked out and planned out. And at the time, it looked like this was just the end. This was just the end. The truth is, whether it's a divorce or it's some other death of a dream, that's just the end of that story. That is not the end of your story or the end of God's ability to do something awesome with it. This next picture, I just couldn't, I didn't ask Jason's permission for this, but this, Jason, that's my best friend I get to walk through life in. And he might be cool, calm, and collected, and we are definitely opposites attract, but he has a dramatic flair and a flair for the silly that I got to capture a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. And uh, bless his heart, he didn't get a say in that. I didn't give him a microphone. But that's what I spend my life with, and I love it. Um, I want to take it to Jeremiah 29, 11. <clears throat> I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I've got good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. That verse has always given me great great comfort throughout life. And Jason, to me, is just a picture. He's just a picture of God's goodness and generosity towards me. That it took me 17 years to get my act together. I'll tell you the truth. I had a friend one time, and I we um, have friends in India who are part of arranged marriages. And we were chatting it up, and I'm like, thank God we don't have arranged marriages. Because I know my parents would pick Jason. And I totally said it like that. Like, ugh. And then it took me 17 years to wise up. Sorry, buddy. Sorry. Uh, okay, so I want to show you this picture. This picture is from this last Halloween, and um, that's Jason with eight children at the top of a hay pyramid. This is the picture of my future. This is what I always thought I would have. I totally pictured, it's a longer story about how I ended up falling in love with Jason, but kids were included. In the end, we borrowed those eight children in order to go have one of my favoriteest days of this entire year. That was so fun. But I picture Jason with a kid on his shoulders and two hanging from his pants and me standing back and just relishing the moment and enjoying all of that. That was what I pictured for us. And um, I'll tell you now that Jeremiah 29 11 has come to mean even more to me as we are three years into the process of being what doctors have labeled um, unexplained infertility. This verse, I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you, and I will give you hope and a good future. Dude, if God had not woken me up a few years ago, and I walked in, so here's how I found out we were infertile. Uh, We had been to the doctor, we'd been chatting, we had been trying to get pregnant, all of this stuff, and, and they told me I had to go to like a perfunctory class before they could send us to a specialist. And 
So I thought, okay, it's insurance. They make you walk through these, you know, whatevers. So I didn't even take Jason. I didn't think this was going to be a tough day. I'm just going to a dumb class that, actually, I was kind of concerned it was going to be like a sex ed talk. Like, maybe you don't know what you're doing. So I'm like, I'm not going to put him through that. So I I go to this class, but I walk in, and I walk up to the counter. I hand her my ID, and she's like, okay, you're here for the infertility class. And I... It hit me like a ton of bricks. I literally, my response to her was, I took a step back and I go, oh, well, that's kind of an extreme word. I I was totally, I didn't know that was the day I was going to find out we were infertile or that the doctors considered us infertile. I thought, well, we're concerned that we're infertile, but that's why we're coming to the doctors. What they should be saying is, you're coming to the class where we really help you. I didn't see that day coming. Knowing this first, having God be my friend before that moment comes, knowing that God is going to have a good plan, a hope, and a future for me, carried me through that day and has been carrying us through the three years since then. I want to share this poem that I came across by Ted Loder. It is I, It just shows the way that God and I are learning to interact. God was always prepared to interact this way. I have had to learn to not sleepwalk and act this way. How shall I pray? Our tears prayers, Lord, our screams prayers, our groans or sighs or curses. Can trembling hands be lifted to you or clenched fists or the cold sweat that trickles down my back or the cramps that knot my stomach? Will you accept my prayers, Lord, my real prayers rooted in the muck and the mud and the rock of my life? And not just the pretty cut flowers, gracefully arranged bouquet of words. Will you accept me, Lord, as I really am, messed up mixture of glory and grime? I love it. I love it. What happened when I stopped sleepwalking was to realize that the death of a dream is just one perspective from my, from my place. But our God is a God of impossible odds. And impossible odds set up the stage perfectly for amazing miracles. I have no idea how God's going to bring children into my life. I know that we borrow kids and we adore that. I know that God is making great use of our kid-free time. We consistently talk about what we're able to do in ministry because we don't have children. I don't know if that's the end of our story, if we will literally not have children ever, or if God is going to drop a child on our doorstep. And just, hey, you can do that. Okay, here we go. Community, help us figure out how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. But I know that between now and then, I have a couple of choices to make about what I think about God in the process. The beauty of having God become my friend is, one, I know him a lot better than I did when I was sleepwalking. It's one thing to know the story of David who killed a giant named Goliath with a slingshot and one rock. It's one thing to grow up knowing the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were sentenced to be put into a fiery furnace and they willingly walked in knowing God would save them and saying, well, if he doesn't, then let his name be glorified. Or Daniel that went into the lion's den as, again, another punishment for being a Christian and God kept him safe. It's one thing to know those stories. It's another thing to live. What if I lived? What if I choose to live? in such a way as though that's the same God that is watching out over me, looking to give strong support if I will simply commit my heart to him. We all have situations with our friends where they say something, we think, oh, that seems kind of offensive. But then it's your friend, and you think, well, that can't be because I know my friend, and they don't treat me that way. You can give them the benefit of the doubt. They must mean something else. 
The same thing is true with our big, glorious, and loving God. Stuff comes at us in life, and we have the choice to shake our fists at heaven and say, how could you do this? Or we could pray like the Ted prayed in his prayer, where it's like, I am lifting trembling hands. I don't know how you're going to work this out, but you and I are going to walk it together, and I'm taking the scripture to the bank that you have a good hope and a good future for me. And I'm taking the stories that I know from the Bible and I'm going to believe you are the same God who can work a miracle to seal the lion's mouth so that they don't eat Daniel when he's in there for three days. That you can do that same thing and find a way to replace this love that I have for children with another love that I want more. Or you can choose to walk me in the uncertainty or you can choose to give us a kid. That would be okay too. That would be okay. We'll take four. If we're putting in orders. Um, the thing is, God loves impossible odds. He is not at all bothered by our circumstances. And if you don't know God, if those stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and David and Goliath, if those things aren't tattooed on your heart, if you don't know, A, we have Bibles available right outside that door, and B, get to know him. You can bring this friend into your life that can walk with you, and you look a death of a dream in the eyeballs and not be shaken. That is what I would want for you. That's what I would love to see you recycle. I want to show you this picture. Um, I happen to love roller coasters, so I apologize in advance. I don't mean to judge you if you don't like roller coasters. But life is like a roller coaster. It has its ups and its downs. But it's your choice to scream or enjoy the ride. I love that. I love that. It is our choice. Life is going to come at us, but how we view God makes all the difference on whether we are white-knuckling our way through life or whether we are grinning. When it comes to the how do you might recycle this last point, I would just say how big is your God? For the vast majority of my life, my God was five foot seven, about this wide, and kind of bossy. That was my God. But I have learned that my God is way bigger than that and is not intimidated by the impossible odds. And too often, our prayers revolve around this idea of like lowering the odds in our lives. Like how do I reduce the odds to make it more stacked in my favor? Please, God, protect me from this. What if we stopped praying that way and we started storming the gates saying, okay, God, we got it, you and I. I would be remiss if I stepped off this stage being who God made me to be if I did not make a book recommendation or two. I apologize if you're not a reader, but the truth is that God is speaking through books all over the place. You can learn from other people's stories. So I'm going I'm to give you two book recommendations as a possible way to recycle this. The Good and Beautiful God on the left, if you do not know God, or if you find yourself stuck in a rut because you've known God so long that he's just sort of this packaged up nice thing that's set over here collecting dust on the shelves— this book has the ability to redefine your view of God. It is an incredible book. Second book is In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And if you find yourself praying prayers that are all about reducing the odds in your life, this is a book that has the opportunity to light you up. It is an easy read and super fun. I highly recommend going out and getting to know the God that is big enough to handle anything you throw at him. The last thing I want to give you is a little conundrum. It's just a way to look at life that I think is so fun. And when you've got a big God on your side, it answers the question for you. But this is our option. Life comes at us and we decide. That's what I would pray for us. That's what I would pray that you would recycle. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.